Since 2017, the Italian Wine Podcast has exploded and expects to hit 6 million listens by the end of July 2023. We're celebrating this success by recognizing those who have shared the journey with us and giving them the opportunity to contribute to the ongoing success of the shows. By buying a paper copy of the Italian Wine Unplugged 2.0 or making a donation to help the ongoing running costs, members of the international Italian wine community will be given the chance to nominate future guests and even enter a prize draw to have lunch with Stevie Kim and Professor Attilio Scienza. To find out more, visit us at italianwinepodcast.com. Chin chin! Welcome to this special Italian wine podcast broadcast. This episode is a recording off Clubhouse, the popular drop-in audio chat. This Clubhouse session was taken from the Wine Business Club and Italian Wine Club. Listen in as wine lovers and experts alike engage in some great conversation on a range of topics in wine. If you enjoy listening, please consider donating through italianwinepodcast.com. Any amount helps cover equipment, production, and publication costs. And remember to subscribe and rate our show wherever you tune in. Hello, everybody. My name is Stevie Kim, and welcome to the Italian Wine Club on Clubhouse. And today, this is, of course, the Ambassador's Corner. We're approaching our 100th episode of this series, the Ambassador's Corners. It's more like a fire chat style. And what it is, is one of our Italian wine ambassadors at large, they get to choose their favorite wine producer in Italy, and they have this call for it. It's about 60, 60 minutes. And it is actually one of our most popular shows in in um, at which gets replayed on the Italian Mind podcast. And today's mod is Kevin Di Lucente. Ciao, Kevin. Ciao, Stevie. Thanks for having me back. Yeah, how are you, Kevin? I'm doing great, despite all the uh, the, the smoke smog, the Canadian wildfires. Yes. Yeah, you you you're surviving. That's good. Listen, so of course, for those of you who are less familiar, Kevin De Lucente, he was the top student from our New York edition Vinital International Academy um, a few years back, like three years back, I want to say. July 2021, Stevie. Okay, I remember July 20. Yeah, you remember very well. And um, and of course, he is has been in the wine industry for numerous years. I think about 15 years. Uh, still represents Winebo, from what I understand. And today, he has chosen. Who is your favorite producer? You you've chosen. Paolo Montioni. Paolo Montioni. So tell us a little bit about. Paolo, why did you choose Paolo to be on your call today? Well, the the Via community is is great at connecting people, and I I, I not so secretly love Sagrantino, and I and I saw um, last year the, the Via community went on a, uh, a cultural trip there, and you were and jealous. Quite recently, I was jealous, <laughs> and I saw that you and Leica were recently there, and the videos that, that you've been producing, and I'm like, I want to go. You but will Leica have to go. Introduce. Okay, fantastic. I definitely will. Yes. Um, so what are the learning objectives um, today? Well, uh, aside from the obligatory learning about the region, the history, the estate, the native grapes and all that, um, as someone who works in the wholesale uh, field, 
uh, we quite often hear a lot of technical information, you know, how are the wines made and whatnot. But something I wanted to get into a little bit in this conversation is how are the wines, uh, how do we sell the wines? How do we as ambassadors of, of Montefalco uh, and, and Italian wines in general go into the markets? And, and what do we, other than telling them about, you know, stories and history, how can we effectively sell the wines and represent them best in the market? Yeah, I, that's a great point because I've been on kind of a talking tour lately in Italy, and I've been trying to tell the producers and the winemakers. I mean, I take we take it for granted that the wine is good, what's in the bottle, right? But the most difficult part is selling the wine. So that's caused a lot of um, discussion all over Italy. So hopefully we will be uh, listening to this conversation very quickly. So I'm leaving the mic over to you now, uh, Kevin, and we'll come back towards the end of the show to see if there are any questions. Okay? Sounds good. Thanks, Stevie. Okay, ciao. Paolo, I'm going to uh, give a little quick synopsis of who you are real quick, and then we'll get into some questions if that's okay. Ciao, Kevin. Of yeah, course. thanks for joining us. Um, so Paolo Montioni, he has been the owner of Cantina Montioni for the last 20 years and declares himself 100% cento per cento Montefalcese um, as he was born and raised there. Um, he has a lovely wife, Sarah, and is the father of two children, Giacomo and Matteo, and uh, has uh, the, the passion to cultivate uh, Sagrantino and promote the wines all over the world. Uh, he also loves traveling. He's traveled to over 50 countries to date. Oh, my. Paolo, you are uh, definitely racking up the countries. I'm nowhere near that number. Um, and obviously, you just love uh, promoting Umbria in general throughout the world on all your adventures that you go on. Paolo, welcome. Thanks for joining. Ciao, Kevin. Welcome. Thank you. And uh, hello to everybody. Yes, of course. I uh, visited 50 countries of the world for my pleasure and, of course, for my business. Terrific. Um, so you go off on uh, adventure while you're, you're in these countries. What are some of the adventures that you've been on? Depend. Adventure can be visit the city center, visit uh, the Medina, or visit uh, the real style of uh, the country. But the unique goal is take culture to bring in my winery. So you're not climbing Mount Everest, you're saying? Yes. <laughs> uh, I'm kidding. Uh, so uh, let's get into some questions here. And, and as we do, feel free to get as as nerdy, as geeky as possible, because uh, I know that a lot of the listeners of this podcast uh, are, are very um, interested in, in the minute details of things, uh, filling in the cracks of things that are generally known about the areas. And, and, and you know, I, I know that there are people that maybe are listening to this that maybe are not as familiar with the region or the area, but I always think it's better to over-explain and get into detail and, and create curiosity rather than just be general. So don't be afraid to get really nerdy and geeky uh, as I ask these questions. And the first one I'm going to ask you is about the, the region of Montefalco, its history. I understand that there's some ties to Federico Secondo and quite possibly St. Francis of Assisi. Could you talk a little bit more about that? So, Monte, of course. So Montefalco 
uh, it's uh, the balcony of Umbria so because uh, it's in the center of Umbria. It's a small town, uh, not too far from Assisi or, or Spello or Bevagna. It's uh, a, a beautiful uh, place uh, where uh, the Federico, uh, the Roman Empire, mm, Federico the Roman Empire uh, spend their time to uh, hunting falcon. Montefalco, it, before to give Montefalco name, it was Coccorone. When arrived Federico II and he chose like a beautiful place for hunting with falcon, give the name like Mon Mountain and Falcon. So the, the Currently named, it's because Federico, the king of the Roman Empire, chose like a beautiful place for hunting falcon. Paolo, do you have any falcons? Not. But you can no. find in the springtime a lot of falcon around of Monte Falco. Very, very nice. I like to, I like to hear that the, the tradition remains uh, since Federico II. So what is the, the climate like in this area? Have you noticed, because you've been there your entire life, have you noticed a change in, in climate throughout? I know there's talks of climate change all over the world. Have you noticed that in your region? Yes. I think uh, mm, uh, we are uh, looking for a climate change. So we, we, mm, we, we don't have a spring and autumn, but I think we have only summer and winter. So what happened? In general, uh, the Montefalco climate was moderate and continental, not too cold winter and not too dry and uh, high temperature in the summer, with moderate rain in the spring and then autumn summer. But since two, three years ago, we had a moderate climate winter, so not too cold, but it's about 7, 10 degrees, and dry, dry plus summer until 38, 40 degrees. If you imagine, for example, that last year we were four months without rain and the medium temperature from May until August was 38 degrees. So the climate change arrived in Montefalco. Very interesting. So uh, talking more about the region and the soils. Montefalco. Uh, what, yeah, what are the soils like around your area? I, I understand that there's some clay in there, and but how do yes. they form? First of all, imagine that Montefalco, it's an a hill. The top, uh, we are on 450 meters from the sea level, but the down part, it's about 200 meters from the sea level because Montefalco originally was an ancient lake. So at the down part of Montefalco, we can find uh, alluvial deposit on the top, uh, clay and sandstone soil. Uh, about the soil and about my philosophy. Uh, my philosophy is uh, grown Sagrantino in different parts of Montefalco. Of course, in the high-level part of Montefalco, but in different places. In, in the place where we have windy, uh, more windy area and the, like uh, uh, clay soil in the, in the southwest part of Montefalco where we have a lot of sun and less wind because the idea is give, uh, is is uh, produced an unbelievable wine like uh, we can reply in different places. 
So these areas that you're talking about, are these subzones that you guys are isolating and, and gave names to? Or are these just general areas? It's all called Montefalco. Is uh, is in general is in the Montefalco denomination because Montefalco denomination is uh, is uh, the uh, communion of five towns. But of course, the hill of Montefalco is the most prestigious and and it's it's the most important. And of course, uh, I have all of my property in the heart of the Montefalco denomination, like Montefalco town. All right, terrific. So how, how did your family first acquire the land uh, that you now have as your estate? Um, yes. And, you know, where are these sites in relation to all that and where, where are the lines? Uh, first of all, Montioni family is a, one of the oldest family located in Montefalco. Uh, we just are with, at, at the four generation, four generation with my children, Matteo and Giacomo, and I'm the third generation. So Montioni family, it's uh, like uh, a big fan of Montefalco. And of course, my family always support Montefalco wines and of course, Montefalco lifestyle. How we uh, arrive in this situation? Of course, my grandfather, it was a, 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 a good farmer, but the the next idea, the international idea, was mine. When I finished my accountancy uh, study, uh, I entered immediately in uh, my family company. I am honest, I fight with my father because the vision was completely different. I have an international vision and my father have a local vision. And of course, after two, three years of fight, uh, I take in my hand all the property and of course uh, I make the big investment of my life. I build an ambitious and a beautiful winery not too far from the city center of Montefalco and of course uh, uh, step by step I bought uh, uh, about 25 hectares new of new land and uh, inside of the 25 hectares of new land I uh, bought two beautiful rural uh, like house or rural factory and uh, of course uh, i planted the more sagrantino or montefalco wines so when you say the that the difference in opinion you had with your father was uh, a difference between local and international so you're saying that your international vision was to expand and make a higher production instead of just a production for for your local uh, area Yes, of course. So my goal is to produce high-level Sagrantino, award Sagrantino, and of course promote around of the world the Sagrantino and invest in the incoming sector. Terrific. And that brings us back to, I really want to not uh, move past Sagrantino too much in this chat, um, what makes a great Sagrantino? How do you work with a grape that is considered the, the most tannic grape, uh, one of the most tannic grapes in the world and certainly the most uh, tannic grape in Italy? What do you need to do to in make it balance? Kevin, in my opinion, it was one of the uh, tannic Sagrantino, of the tannic wines of Italy, like of the world. But why Sagrantino was tannic? Was tannic because the, the wine area, uh, it was too young. If you imagine that the, the, the DOCG denomination of Sagrantino has uh, only 30, 35 years 
about or 40 maximum so when we uh, when the winery the wine the consortium make the decision to invest strong on the sagrantino vision imagine that it was only 20 years ago we plant new vignettes we plant new strategic uh, about how to promote sagrantino and now we take the result of 20 at the beginning of the sagrantino beginning of the Sagrantino investment, the, the vines give us young, young product, not too ready, not too uh, evolved wine. Now, with the oldest vines, we are looking to produce a more smooth wine, a more delicate Sagrantino wine. It's the result, in my opinion, of the time. Yeah, terrific. So your, your vineyards are, some of them are uh, older than 20 years, but some are younger than 20 years, right? Based on the, on the history of what you said. Uh, Kevin, excuse me, uh, can you repeat? So the, the, the age of your vines presently at your estate varies based on, you know, you doing some of those uh, newer plantings, uh, you know, when, when you took over for your father. But there was some existing vines prior to that that, you, that you're still working with. Yes, of course. And now we have all these vines like uh, 35 years old. Terrific, terrific. So, yes. And of course, it, it, uh, Kevin, I'm honest. Uh, and with the 2023 harvest, uh, I'm looking to release, uh, to produce a new wines, uh, a new Sagrantino wines uh, from a single part of my vineyards, my oldest vineyards. Uh, yeah, like 35 years old. So as soon as I release another Sagrantino from all the vines in a big jar fermentation. So what wines do you make now at the estate? What are all the wines you make? Uh, excuse me, Kevin? What are all the wines that you currently produce at the estate? Uh, we produce uh, Montefalco Rosso, Montefalco Sagrantino Passito, Montefalco Sagrantino Regular Black Label, and of course, my special selection from my best single vineyards in honor of my children. So, Magia. So, in the Montefalco Rosso, what is the, the makeup of that wine? 65% Sangiovese, 20% Merlot, and 15% Sagrantino, of course. Harvest by hand, three different harvests, natural fermentation, one year in the hook barrels, and six months in the bubble. A perfect barbecue wine. Is it very common for people to plant Merlot in the area, and do you find challenges with uh, planting that varietal? Yes or not, but I'm a Merlot fan. Because Merlot, it's uh, adapt grapes, uh, give us uh, always the good result and a good wine. And of course, a good color wine. So, and when you're actually making it, and, and specifically the Sagrantino wines, obviously we know that the DOCG has a minimum aging requirement. Are you sticking to that? Are you going beyond that? What type of wood are you using? Yes, uh, of course, a minimum my Sagrantino. So now I produce a three different Sagrantino for in the in the past, in the future. So what happened? I produce a, a black label Sagrantino is my regular Sagrantino and a minimum mature 24 months in a hook barrels. Of course, we do the late harvest, 15, 20 October. And after the fermentation, in, a, in contact with the skins, my Sagrantino matured 24 months in the wooden barrel. Plus, I have my special selection, a limited uh, edition, a limited 
production wine to celebrate the fourth generation. So the, the Sagrantino gold label, the nickname is Magia, like the letter of my children, Matteo and Giacomo. And we call inside of our winery a fourth generation wine from the best grapes of my best vignettes. And uh, this kind of Sagrantino, the grapes ferment for four months in a wooden barrel. So stay in contact with the skins, the wine stays in in contact with the skins for four months and after that with the same barrels the wine mature 36 months in the wooden barrel the third wine it's our sweet wine dessert wine with the same sagrantino grapes and the, the sagrantino sweet wine mature 24 months in the wooden barrel so like uh, like very similar to in the Veneto with Amarone and Recioto, yeah. um, uh, Sagrantino was, was traditionally made as a sweet wine, correct? Yes, of course. In the past, so the origin of Sagrantino was sweetness. Terrific. So you're still making that uh, as a, a traditional wine? Yes, in, in honor of the tradition of Montefalco. And of course, in my opinion, because uh, because uh, it's uh, convenient to have uh, all the portfolio wine, so you can introduce uh, with the Montefalco Rosso or continue with Sagrantino, and the end of meal with a sweet wine with a tart, cookies, or a, a good uh, espresso. Oh, terrific! So. Um... Just a, a little side uh, uh, detour here. Uh, your family is also produces olive oil, is that right? Yes, of course. We grow 5,000 olive trees, plus we have the olive meal. Uh, and, uh, of course, uh, uh, we produce uh, two different kinds of olive oil, uh, cold extraction, uh, healthy olive oil, because our CDT is uh, around below 0.2. Yes, we, get, I, I, we, we, we work strong uh, also in the olive oil sector. So I read that uh, in the, the bio that you sent over to me that you're the only mill left in the area. Is there a reason for that? Is this just something that uh, people we, abandoned over the years? Actually, in Montefalco, we are the only olive mill. Italian Wine Podcast. Brought to you by Mama Jumbo Shrimp. Uh, I see. Okay, but there's others in, in the region. Yes, of course. In the region, uh, I think there are uh, 80, 90 olive mill. What makes the two different uh, olive oils that you make different? It's, it's the different olives that you're using? Yes. Of course, we grow, we have the same philosophy of Sagrantino, grown indigenous olives, and the indigenous olives are Moraiolo and Frantoio. And I'm looking to produce two different types of olive oil. One delicate, that the, the consumer can use for everything, and the delicate, it's harvest by hand, crushed in a cold extraction in my olive mill, and it's blend of two olives, 50% Moraiolo and 50% Frantoio. The other one, it's a little bit intense, it's, it's a little bit peppery, spicy, and of course, it's 100% indigenous olives Moraiolo. So the way that you're farming the olive trees and farming your, your vineyards, uh, are there certain practices that you use that are universal across the two? Uh, talk a little bit more about how you, how you work your vineyards and your um, orchard. 
Uh, first of all, uh, fortunately, the the time of pruning the, the olives and the time of pruning the, the vineyards are not the same. So if you want to know our year, our year work, we started in January with, with the pruning of vineyards and uh, the pruning of our vineyards uh, give us two months about. After that, uh, we pruning, we cut the olive tree in three months. So January and February, we have vineyards pruning. February, uh, March, April and May, olive, olive tree pruning. It's uh, to respect the, uh, the environment. We don't use tractor or other things. We only use a, a, a battery scissor. Okay, so we don't have a utensil that need the gasoline or other things. It's only by hand. We have scissor with electric force and that we can use by hand. After that, the, the olive trees sleep until the harvest. So we, we must only control what happened in the, in the land. Uh, we must control what happened in the land. We spray, we give nutrients to the branches of to the leaves and nothing else. So we, we are looking to attend the harvest. Completely different from the, from the vineyards. From the vineyards, we have a lot of things to do during May, June and July. We must control that, that insect or fungus don't attack the grapes. So the work is too hard in the vineyards. So is that the biggest uh, challenge to things like Sagrantino is there's, uh, there's pests that you have to deter? Um, in my opinion, no, because I'm looking to look of, of our past. So I never change the method, the philosophy of grown Sagrantino. In my opinion, if you, are, if you want to produce an unbelievable wine, it's so important to work hard in the vineyards. And of course, Sagrantino is a not a kind of grapes that we can uh, uh, work with the mechanical machinery. The secret is uh, work by hand, remove by hand the leaves, pruning very well the vines is uh, so important. Understood. So uh, how many, between the, the wines and the olive oil you produce, what's your production level like? How many bottles of each do you make uh, roughly? I'm honest. This is a... Uh, so, Kevin, uh, uh, I know very well U.S. wine market because in my winery arrive a lot of uh, U.S. people. And uh, this, is, uh, this is a question that I heard frequently from my visitors. I, in, and in the olive oil business, it's not correct tell how many bottles, but how many liters, because our olive oil we put in a cans and small cans, uh, 700, uh, 750 ml uh, bottle. So I can give you the exactly uh, answer. I produce uh, 50,000 liters of extra virgin olive oil and 65,000 bottles of wines. Uh, terrific. So uh, you export uh, outside of Italy, correct? Where, where are your major export markets? U.S. So U.S. Who is your U.S. importer? Total Wine. Ah, Total Wine. Very yes. cool. Yes. So we, 
we have a good agreement with Total Wine. We work strong with Total Wine. And of course, we are uh, in the LCBO. Another strong market is uh, Canada. In Canada, we have a private importer in LCBO. And of course, we are present in Puerto Rico. Very cool. Uh, yeah, so yeah, yeah. Um, you're, you said uh, many times you're, you're a fourth generation estate. Um, I always like to talk about um, what it's like working with your family. I've got two brothers and a sister. Yes. And I don't know that no, I can work. One with them. brother and one sister, and they have twins. So, so the fourth generation is getting involved at the winery. As soon as, because they are too young, nine and eight years old, but they are now uh, coming in my winery. They help me to stay in the testing room. Uh, yes, they are well involved. And one thing, just kind of going back to the, uh, the export of your wines, and, and one of the points that I wanted to make sure that uh, we address during this conversation. So when you're presenting your wines in these uh, foreign markets, how are you communicating uh, to people? Because, you know, Sagrantino and, and Montefalco is not necessarily a huge category, even here in the United States. We obviously love Italian wines, and it's a big, uh, important market for Italian wines. But uh, I would say that other, you know, certainly other wines are, are more famous. How are you communicating to first these of all, people to sell your wines? Kevin, first of all, uh, uh, at the beginning, I never communicate my wines. I always communicated the ambience, the territory. Hey guys, come in Montefalco. Unbelievable place. So where we grow an unbelievable Sagrantino. Yes, this is the reason. Okay, great. So um, do you ever look outside of of Italy or at Montefalco uh, at other wines, maybe other wines within Italy or other wines within other parts of the world as inspiration that you then take back to your winery? Have, have you gone and visited other places and then said, hey, I, I want to try this at my winery and, and this on, on Sagrantino? Uh, I'm honest. So I'm always going the other wine area. Of course, uh, my neighbor is a Brunello or Montepulciano. Um, uh, of course, I visited uh, Adelaide Hills in Australia. I visited uh, Niagara Falls wine area, but it's uh, it's a little bit uh, um, it's a little bit difficult to find a kind of wine near Sagrantino because a Sagrantino, in my opinion, is a special. Yeah, absolutely. But you you didn't you didn't go to any of these wineries and go. Oh, there's a practice that there's a a practice that they're using in the vineyards. There's a practice that they're using in the cellars that I'm going to try in my own cellars. Is, is this anything you've ever done before or thought to do? Yes, of course. Uh, so, for example, I visited a different winery in the north of Italy, like Friuli Venezia Giulia, where they produce a good Tokai or a good red wine. Um, and, uh, of course, I learn about their experience for my future wine. So, we we'll, um, produce a wine, a Sagrantino wine from oldest, uh, um, oldest vines in a big jar. I learn from Friuli Venezia Giulia. 
So are you uh, speaking of that, they obviously produce a lot of white wine there. Do you uh, do you, pro- you produce a white wine of the Grichetto variety? Yes. yes. And which Grichetto is it? Is it the Grichetto di Orvieto or di Todi? Di Todi. Grichetto de Clone is a Grichetto di Todi. So how do you make that wine? Uh, uh, of course, strong work in the, in the vineyards, harvest by hand at the beginning of September, fermentation without skins, because the skins are two tannics for uh, delicate and smooth wine. So 20 days fermentation, natural, without nothing in the, uh, in the big tank. After that, uh, three, four months with the sediment in contact with the, in, in, in the, in the inox. And after that, go in the bottle. So, 20 days fermentation, four months um, uh, uh, contact with the sediment uh, in the stainless steel, and after go in the bottle. So, fresh, mineral, tropical fruit wine. Tropical fruits. So, um, the... Um, I know the region plants another white varietal that I've heard other producers in the area talk about called Trebbiano Spolettino. Yeah. Do you have plans to do that or any other future projects at the winery that that Ke- maybe not necessarily to that that you have on the on the the burner right now that you can talk about? Kevin can be a future project. So you're 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 that's something that's that you would consider planting in the future. Yes, probably yes. Not yet, but probably yes. Why do you think it is that so many people are are planting that varietal? Excuse me. Why? Yeah. Why? Why do you think that this that that varietal is something that people have been concentrating on in that region? Oh, I don't know. I'm honest. Oh, what, uh, Kevin, I don't understand now. Can you repeat, please? Because I my my uh, internet is not too good. Please. Yeah, I'll I'll happily repeat for you. So the Trebbiano Spolettino varietal. Yeah. Yeah. Why do you think it is that producers are using that varietal, and why is it something that you might consider in the future? What What is it about that grape varietal? Uh, because uh, because uh, uh, grape uh, they have a good potential for aging, uh, for uh, for just one moment for 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 forgive a good opinion or a good uh, wine that can aging also for three four years and you think that it can age for the same length as Grichetto di Todi or longer no shorter? no longer longer Trebbiano have a good potential if you compare with Grichetto Grichetto is a like immediate wine immediate wine um, uh, for one to uh, one to years, um, Trebbiano. It's for also three, four years. So, going back to how you make the wines um, and and your your background, you said you came from the accounting world. Is that right, uh, Kevin? Excuse me. Can you repeat? I'm sorry. I'm sorry. So your background. How did you learn how to make wine? Was it just oh yes, a- wonderful. As you were. Yeah. 
Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, excuse me, excuse me, excuse me, all the members, but I I'm in a, in a, a not good position with my mobile. Excuse me. So, Kevin, uh, I learn from my webmaker. I studied in accountancy, but I have a, a good passion, and of course, uh, I love uh, to learn from my webmaker. And my I uh, my collaboration with my webmaker to this year it's at 23 years. Terrific. So I know we don't often like to talk about our mistakes, but did you make any mistakes along the way as you were learning that you, if you go back, you wish you hadn't done? Yes, of course. I always tell uh, what happened. Uh, what, yes, I always follow uh, the, the word of my winmaker. Terrific. Yeah, I won't make, a, I won't make you draw, dwell on your mistakes for too long. Um, so... <laughs> Uh, so you, you've obviously, you've been there your entire life. Uh, what are some of your favorite places in, uh, in and around your state? Is there a place that, that you visit often and consider yourself very lucky? Like a, a so Kevin, area? Yes, I understand. So Kevin, I have two favorite places. One is where I produce the wine in honor of my children. Fonte Petrella. And when you are, when you are, of course, you are welcome here. And when you will be here in my winery, of course, I will bring there. So Fonte Petrella is a beautiful place. It's a beautiful place because of the environment, the, the, the situation, it's outstanding. Because Fonte Petrella, it's in the southwest part of Montefalco, 410 meters from the sea level clay soil, the environment is beautiful. You can find in the early morning wild rabbit, pheasant, many birds. It's like a, a microsystem and unbelievable for grown oldest, uh, for grown Sagrantino. So this is a, one of my favorite places because no rumors, quite green, in, especially in this moment. It's a beautiful place. Of course, I'm honest. I have another beautiful place, and it's my special hill. I have an hill not too far from my headquarters, where I grow all these olive trees until uh, 300 years old. And uh, the particular of this hill is the view. You can, we have a 360 view on the Umbrian Valley. And of course, we can admire the beautiful and most historical cities of Umbria like Assisi or Bevania. So I certainly, if I, you know, when I visit your winery, um, I certainly will, won't ask you how many bottles of olive oil. I'll only ask how many liters you make. But Bravo. I imagine, I, imagine, I, imagine I might uh, eat some good food there. What are some of the, the foods that you use your olive oil in and then ultimately yeah. maybe pair with some of the wines that you, uh, that you produce? Not good food but unbelievable food. So, Kevin, I work with a lot of uh, U.S. travel agency. I look, I look, I work with uh, most uh, blogger or influencer from the United States. And the, one of the reasons because uh, uh, people want to come in Montefalco, it's because they are hungry. Because, uh, uh, of course, Montefal uh, Sagrantino is the star of Montefalco, but the food is the second star. It's amazing. So drink a bottle of Sagrantino with a, with a, a, a good risotto with Sagrantino or with a fillet of beef or with tartare or cook a, a, a 
a very good soup of lentils with on the top 100% Morayolex virgin olive oil. It's like a, 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 an outstanding um, situation. So Leica gave me, kindly gave me a, a recommendation to inquire with you more about uh, wine tourism in the area. What is, what is a typical visit to your winery like? And, and just in general, what are some other things that the region offers to visitors? So there are many things to do in, uh, uh, about uh, wine tourism. So people can come. So I, I want to explain general wine tourists and Montioni wine tourists. So general wine tourists, people from Rome, from Florence. So people fly to Rome, rent a car or drive or rent or by taxi and arrive in Umbria region. They can do a religion tour, so visit the most important church of Umbria. They can do truffle hunting tour. They can do uh, like food tours, so discover truffle, lentils, uh, or pecorino cheese or other things or they can do wine tour Montioni my winery is so special for wine tour if you go in my website or in internet we are the first on TripAdvisor the first in Yelp and we have a good marketing about the touring season you can imagine that in my tasting area arrive about seven eight thousand people a year and what we can do people can book in advance the tour and they can choose three different tours with food or without food and if they choose the half day with Montioni we bring in our vineyards we bring in our oldest olive trees they can see uh, they can learn about how we produce olive oil they can learn about uh, uh, we produce wines and of course uh, finish their tour inside of our tasting area with a lot of wine of, and of course a lot of high level food well, that sounds lovely. It's it's just about lunchtime where I'm at right now, so I'm, I'm ah in your hour. Oh. <laughs> Here is a mid mid afternoon. Terrific, yeah. So when when these visitors come to your winery and you're you're you know they're going on a tour, um, what are what is something that you find most visitors are surprised to learn about the region that maybe they didn't know? Maybe something that's kind of a hidden secret about the area. Yes. First of all, the visitors that arrive in Montefalco in my winery, they remain surprised about our professional, our smile, our passion. Second thing, they remain surprised about our environment. So walk around around a green way or in, in the fields of Sagrantino or find wild asparagus near the trunk of the olive trees. It's an amazing experience. And of course, it's natural without chemical product or other things. So the secret and the surprise of people, it's our identity, our lifestyle. I love that. Um, you so must come. Yeah, oh, trust me, I will be there as soon as possible. So uh, Montefalco has a consortio, and I noticed that there's a recent initiative uh, called A Montefalco. Is that correct? Yes. And this so is can you talk result. a little more about that and what, what that is doing for the region and, and what the initiative is about? A Montefalco, a Montefalco is, a, as I told you, Amo de Falco is an, an, an initiative, an event 
that all the producers want to promote the culture of Montefalco, the good quality, the lifestyle in Montefalco, and what happened in Montefalco. I see. So you participate in this? Uh, there's yes. different events that happen throughout yeah, the yeah, year, yeah, yeah. or is it just one event? Yes, I participated of the I'm Montefalco event uh, since the first uh, the first uh, time. Terrific. So um, I think that wraps up pretty much most of the questions I had for you, Paolo. Is there anything else you wanted to share about your region or about your wines? Uh, I think uh, everything is is. Um, is done. Uh, I always uh, uh, I, I appreciate uh, the the podcast, uh, and uh, I think the only things is uh, come in Montefalco because it's uh, the one of the real uh, beautiful place of Italy where people work strong, where people are uh, professional, and where people uh, uh, work together to the same goal, the lifestyle in Montefalco. Well, thank you. It was definitely a pleasure talking to you, Paolo. I'm going to hand the, uh, the mic back to Stevie Erleika now. Well, thank you. Thank you so much, Paolo and Kevin. Uh, like Paolo said, I think the best way to discover Montefalco is actually go there yourself. So, Kevin, I'm sure they'll be expecting you. So I'm going to close. Uh, that is uh, all for now. See you next time, everyone. Um, Till the next episode. Ciao, ragazzi. Listen to the Italian Wine Podcast wherever you get your podcasts. We're on SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Himalaya FM, and more. Don't forget to subscribe and rate the show. If you enjoy listening, please consider donating through italianwinepodcast.com. Any amount helps cover equipment, production, and publication costs. Until next time, cin cin.